leading by example. Hey, uh, thank you guys for being here this morning. I'm Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're visiting, uh, we're a church called Conduit uh, because th- that's not going to work. Because uh, we're a pipe. When, when Jesus uh, found the woman at the well and he said to her that, you know, living water would flow from within you. And this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which was to come. And it's just a conduit. It's pipe. And it does something really profound, which is take resources and his spirit and us from place that has uh, stuff to give and then puts it into a place where it needs it. And, and that's the, the picture of what we are, uh, whether it's financially or Spiritually, uh, David, uh, Christopher, and myself leaving tomorrow for India because I've just not had enough curry this year. Uh, that's going to be fun. Um, we're going to go see the Fadley family and, and Audrey, who are part of our, our church here, but there. They've moved uh, around the world to care for these these boys and girls in this orphanage in Angol, India. And so we're, you know what, if nothing else, we're going just as a pastor to hug on them and love on them and encourage them and, and bring them food and candy and <laughs> treats. And, and, uh, and we are going to be taking some, uh, you know, Christmas presents for the kids. Uh, and I know some of you have asked if there's still time to bring stuff. Uh, I noticed it wasn't on the list this year, but like when I went in May, they really, really wanted the maple syrup. I don't know if they, if they don't. If, if they didn't need it this time, but I assure you, the amount of syrup I saw them go through, it would it would sure be put to use. So if you're thinking, hey, I'd like to have, send something over, they love the maple syrup. So, uh, but bring it to my house by tonight because we're leaving like tomorrow. So I need to pack tonight for that. So, if if that's on your heart to do, uh, and, if, and for sure keep keep us in prayer. Uh, the in, the endurance challenge of uh, 30 plus hours of fly time, uh, and then we land and it's another six hours by. Uh, car through the bumper cars that uh, India is and uh, so we'll, we'll basically be traveling for almost 40 hours uh, straight before that we actually get there and so if you would pray for strength it's been a, w- a crazy week for a lot of us I mean I know obviously we, we talked about what happened with John and uh, and I know there's a lot of us have been in that uh, situation where we've been sick or things have been just you know raining on us this week and and uh, just know that I'm praying for you and I would encourage you to pray for each other just as God brings somebody's face to your mind and somebody's, you know, what's happening in their lives, just be praying for each other. It's, it's if, if for no other reason for a church than that, right, that we are locking arms, we're circling the wagons, that together, that there's safety in that. So if, if you would uh, commit to doing that this week and get your Bibles out and go to the book of Romans chapter 12 with me. It's been a... Uh, I get the feeling that we might be in Romans 12 for a while. If you were here last week, we made it to verse 3. But, but we're going to do something uh, called backtracking. We're going to go to verse 2. Because <laughs> it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in verse 1, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that this is your spiritual act of worship. In verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. 
God, as we get into your, your word today, my prayer, is, as it always is, is that this is not an academic exercise, but it's a, uh, a, an opportunity to just dig into your, to your heart, to, to know you, to have you spiritually wake us up and let your word be a lamp and a light for all of the decisions that face us throughout the week. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. It was a few years ago that Ashley, had, my daughter Ashley, who's 12 now, had, had this idea that she wanted to get a, a caterpillar so she could grow it into a butterfly. She's, she's literally had this thing. Uh, she, was she the one that wanted to have like 12 babies when she was little? Yeah, that's which is, you know, she'd get her TV show if she does that. But, but she has always wanted to raise little things and little bunnies. And as you know, that's, you know, that's happening in our lives. Um, but... It started a little bit with this little caterpillar thing. So did you know that you could, like, uh, on the Internet, you can pretty much get anything, including and not limited to caterpillars, shipped to your house. So we did. And she um, got the little caterpillar, gave it little caterpillar food, did caterpillar things, and before you know it, the little caterpillar did the, the, the cocoon, and, and then we got a butterfly. And it was huge, and it was big and beautiful and and she's very excited because now we got a butterfly and so we're going we're going to go and release the butterfly into nature sort of a ceremony right there was no music but we're all standing in the front yard the whole family and we're gathered around and she takes the butterfly out of the jar and and, and gently holds it out and and you know when a butterfly just comes out they're not great at flying so it's kind of like flapping you know popping its back it's been in there a while and 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 then it, it, it takes flight, and we're all just standing there looking like the disciples when Jesus, you know, goes up, and, and, and this but butterfly makes it about to the top of the house, when out of nowhere, and I swear I'm not making this up, as God and my five uh, family members as my witness, a bird swoops out of nowhere, catches it, and takes it away. And we're all... Oh, never seen that before. <laughs> and, uh, and Ashley, who's forever the pragmatist, or, well, that's just life. <laughs> yes, yes, it is, Ashley. That's just life. But the transformation that occurs with uh, the butterfly, the cocoon, the thing, like when I think of uh, transform. And maybe you do too. But when I think of transform, when I see that in the Romans 12, I, I don't necessarily think of butterflies as much as I think of you know, transformers. Optimus Prime. But that word in the original language when it was written in Greek was a word called metamorpho. And it means, not, it's like with a Yadobot, it, all it is is just rearranges the parts in it. But that's not what that word is driving at. It's driving at the idea that this is something new that is being metamorphosed out and created into something new. That butterfly, the, the uh, caterpillar goes in there and basically it dies and then comes, you know, rearranges everything. And there's, new, there's brand new things happening. It's not just shifting around the puzzle pieces on a table. It's new again. And that's metamorpho. And that's what it means when it talks about being transformed. But... I really wanted to go through that and just talk about that all day today, but I'm thinking, well, huh, 
What about conformed? That's like what he said. Don't do that. Don't conform to this world. We probably, I probably shouldn't skip that. And I'm glad I didn't because I spent some time this week really just swimming in that, you know, percolating, slow roast in that word, in the idea of what it means to, to not conform to this world. Because conform to us would mean to follow after, like copy the, we had a great, uh, when we went to Haiti, as a matter of fact, uh, my daughter's math teacher was there. It was one of those, huh, well that's kind of weird. Like, you're here and you were, turns out she lived in our neighborhood, like five doors down, had no idea. Actually, like a couple of streets, I feel a little better about that. But then, but one point she says, you know, well, Maddie's just in seventh grade. We just loved her because she was, she never really did what everybody else did. And she was always just kind of going her own way. And I said, well, is that, are you like, is that like a euphemism for she really causes a lot of trouble? Or she's like, no, 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 not at all. She's like, you know how it is in seventh grade. Everybody wants to be like everybody else. They talk the same. They dress the same. And she just didn't do that. She dressed kind of like a little hippie. And I'm thinking, oh, so proud. I have a hippie. <laughs> I have a hippie daughter. But conforming to that, to that idea of the world was what Paul was saying was about don't just act like the world around you. I know this isn't like a normal thing to do in church, but we did, I asked a question on Facebook this week just to kind of get a feel, and I'd love to ask you if you didn't get a chance to chime in, and, and if you, when I ask the question, you can just you know, raise your head and just shout it out, because I'd like to get a feel from you. I grew up in a world when they talked about don't be like the world, let me ask you this question first. How many, by a showing of hands, actually grew up in a church setting? You don't have to be embarrassed if you didn't. I just was just curious. Okay. So maybe you, this might uh, resonate with if you've grown up in a church. If you didn't, then maybe you shouldn't. This year, you're maybe luckier than you thought. Um, but when you think of like, uh, don't be like the world. You know, the, the pastor, there's usually some sweating involved and a handkerchief and, you know, don't be like the world or whatever your experience was. But when you think of that, and I'm not saying don't answer the question as in what you think that it should be, but maybe how you grew up and what it felt like to you when you heard don't be worldly, right? And I'll, I'll answer first, because for us, there was a lot of, it was, uh, it was the secular music, because it had, we called it the, uh, <laughs> they called it the beat of the world, right? Like, the beat of the world. I guess Michael Jackson had the beat of the world on it, so, you know, beat it. So, you know, for us, it was like secular music, so, which was really a bummer because we had to burn all of our uh, tapes, and then I had to go rebuy them all when I went to Bible college. Um, but wh what, did it, what was it to you when you were growing up? What was that? No rated R movies. No rated R movies except for Passion of the Christ. Oh. She said, she's, if you didn't hear, she's Jehovah Witness, so you sure couldn't do Passion of the Christ. So rated our movies. And it doesn't, you don't have to say, like what I'm saying, if that wasn't your experience, I'm just curious what your experience was with the world sermons. No movies. <laughs> Man, where'd you grow up, Glenda? <laughs> pool, oh, pool halls, huh? We couldn't do poker either, right? No cards, period. And no kino is the, the mid-American version of gambling. 
Lee is our uh, brother that uh, grew up in an Amish environment, so no electricity. I mean, you see what I'm driving? Like, for us, it was like definitely no, like, we, uh, we, we didn't, uh, there was no, I've said this before, so I apologize for this joke, but it really, it has, it has a, a lot of traction, so I'm going to use it again. But, you know, the kind of environment where you didn't have sex before marriage because it led to dancing. And, and so, you know, there was just the, we had these rules in place because you didn't want any uh, crazy stuff going on. So when you think about it, to conform to the world is an interesting idea. And I think that it would be helpful, and I apologize uh, if, if you're not um, especially awake this morning with the weather. But it would be helpful for us when we see the word world to actually know what in the heck he's talking about. When you look in... The Bible as a whole, for the English language in general. I don't know how many of you guys or you get kids you're teaching to read, but you know our language is really not that great. When you think it's very complicated, it's difficult. You know we're doing sight words with Ethan this week, so he's looking at you know the word seen, S-E-E-N, and then he gets to B-E-E-N, and why is you know why is uh, seen seen, but ben, you know Ben is not being. You know it's like how is that? You know it's confusing. The Greek language is fascinating because they're very precise in what they do. They may not be very good with money, but they're great with language. And when you look to the word world in the Bible, there are four, three or four different instances where you'll see the word that we use as world, but it's translated as world, but it's a different and a very specific word in, in the Greek language. One of which is a word called, and uh, you definitely want to write this down because this will be on the test. Oikumene, okay? That is the word for we see world, like in uh, Matthew 24, for instance, when we see that word uh, world, when Jesus says all this gospel will be preached in the whole world and then the end will come. And that was the word that we see as world, but it was very specifically talking about you know, people in the world. Like the people of the world, that's what it means. Only the humans. That's oikumene, and it is the world, it is what Jesus used several times. It is not, however, what Paul uses here. There's a word called uh, cosmos, not Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld, but cosmos. Speaking of like the entirety of the world itself, of tire, the entirety of creation in general. So you know what it is? It's we are the world, Michael Jackson. We are the world, right? So it's like this thing, we are, this, this entirety, the idea of the world, the, the universe. So you could say cosmos and, and include people in it, but you don't necessarily just limit it to people. So that when Jesus would say that uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? He talks about the whole world there. That's the word cosmos, and it speaks of creation as a whole, when John the Baptist saw Jesus in John 1.9 and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. It speaks of a changing of everything, of not just the humans, but the, the atmosphere and Jesus infiltrating everything. It's the cosmos. It's an amazing word. It's not the word that Paul uses. 
Paul would use a word that actually sounds a little bit like Nissan's new electric car, but it's not. It's the word ion. Right? If we're running out of good car names in the world, but maybe that's one they should... Uh, you guys write that down and send it off to GM. Ion is the word that Paul uses. He uses it in Romans 12, and he uses it again in Ephesians. But ion means like the age, like an era, a period of time. And in fact, in Ephesians 2... One, you can write it down and go there later. He actually uses those two words side by side, ion and cosmos, when he says that there was a time that you lived according to the world. So there was an ion that you lived according to the cosmos. So in the world, you were living according to this world, this period of time. And then he would actually go on to talk about that period of time is when the prince of the power of the air it was in control, the era of when Jesus came and he uh, died on the cross and he resurrected, that, that for this period of time that Satan still is in charge of the atmosphere, in charge of, it's why we have earthquakes, it's why we have tornadoes, it's why we have sickness, because for a period of time, not very much longer, Satan still has control of the atmosphere itself and of this world. He talks about the prince of the power of the air. That's the ion in which we're living in and it is the ion in which we shouldn't conform ourselves to. Now, Think with me on this. I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn, if you don't mind. When I think of the world and I think of sin, for instance, you're like, oh, great, it's a sin sermon. Hang on, it'll be okay. 1 John chapter 1, verse 14. It might be two. One or two. I'm, 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 you forgive me, I'm going to take a left turn because I really feel like we should unpack something really quick. It's, um, you know, let's turn there. How about that? He talks about it, it's verse 16, chapter 2. You know, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. It says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, Father, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, and if you've got a King James, I believe it would say the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The NIV will say the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has, uh, he has and does, doesn't come from the Father, but it comes from the world. It's saying that that stuff inside of us doesn't come from the Father, but it comes from the world. But what's interesting to me, when I look at the Scriptures as a whole, and I hope, this, hope it sets you free, it really did me, he actually talks about lust, that word lust, which in the Hebrew is epithumo, and it actually is a word used other places in scripture, lust in and of itself, listen to me, isn't sin. Jesus said, with talking about the, the, uh, the, the Last Supper the, in John, he said I have, uh, to his disciples, I have lusted to have this meal with you. I've desired greatly, a strong desire to have this meal with you. He has given us natural legitimate desires in our lives. When he gives you and I the desire as it relates to sex, that is a legitimate desire. When it relates to food, that's a legitimate desire. Self-preservation. You could go down the list of these things that God put inside of us that are legitimate desires. When they become sin is when I go about and 
a legitimate desire pursuing it in an illegitimate way. When I pursue a legitimate desire with an illegitimate method for fulfillment, that's sin. You see, God gave us the natural desire as it relates to sex. But he says, but in this, this uh, forum, in, in marriage, and when I am fulfilling it in that area, that is a legitimate desire being fulfilled in a legitimate way, and it is God-given, and it is an amazing like awesome. You single people? It's going to be awesome. Food. I met with uh, Jana this week. Because it's a way that if I'm being honest where I conform to this world. I'm a full-figured man. But when you are pursuing this idea conforming to this legitimate desire in an illegitimate way, it's harmful. And it's not just about being a big brother. It is. But it's about what it harms you. There's a physical consequence to it. it illness and things that can happen in our lives because of that. It, it's the same as it relates to, to sexual sin, self-preservation. Even there are things when we go into those and we, we pursue this legitimate thing in an illegitimate way, it becomes sin. Do you, do you, do you see what I'm saying? you smell what I'm stepping in? Let's, let's go this way with it. In the book of Genesis... Original, Eve, okay, she's running around, I don't know, Adam's off naming bugs or whatever, and so, but Eve's at the tree with the enemy who comes and says to her that it, this, this is awesome, this fruit, it looks great, it tastes amazing, and you could be like me, like God, you could be like he's holding out on you. And so Eve would look at it, and it was looked amazing in the, the lust of the eyes, happened. And it would taste, it said it's good for food. It, it, the, the lust of the flesh wanting to eat it, it was awesome. But, and here's why I'm, you're like, what, what are we doing? Here's what we're doing. Because it's the third one, the pride of life, where she got herself hung up. And I think that I get myself hung up, and you certainly can get yourself hung up as well. And that was because it looked good, it uh, tasted good, but it was the idea that God was holding out on her. And that if she would do A, B, and C, that then she could get this stuff, this wisdom, this experience that God was holding out on her. And religion was born. When I go to the Father, I have a legitimate desire in me to want to have his love, his, the experience of the Father. And I have a legitimate desire for God. But what I can do is begin to add step A, B, C, you know, sometimes do the whole stinking alphabet. Because I want him to love me. I want to be blessed. I want those things. And it's like this idea that he is holding out on me. And I don't know that I would articulate it that way, but that's how I would act. And understand that when I'm using a legitimate desire and I'm trying to fulfill it in an illegitimate way, that is every bit as much sin as sex before marriage, as gluttony, because it's the pride of life saying, I, he's holding out on me and I want more of that. 
That song, and I have no, no offense if you love this song, but more of you, more of you, more of you. There ain't any more. We got it all. And the lie of the enemy that I would buy into is that there's more out there that I could get if I just do this. And if I don't do that, and then I could have more of him. It's a lie, it's religion, and it's sin. And I say this because what really struck me this week was when Jesus said in John 14, 10, that if the world hates you, that's great, because know that they hated me first. But when he said the world, the people that we said that we don't want to be, that we were not supposed to do, those things, they loved him. The sinners, the publicans, the tax collectors, the smarmy guys, the poor, the oppressed, those that couldn't possibly repay him for what he had done. They loved him. When he said the world, it was the religious people that hated him. And the reason they hated him was he came and said, I'm God. But what he did and how he acted looked nothing like what they thought God would look like and act like, and so they killed him. It was the religious people. And so when I say don't conform to this world, I read this, I think of everything else that I've got in my, uh, the ideas of what the world is, I shouldn't skip over this one. Because, I mean, you've got you to give it to Satan. I mean, I don't know if we'll be allowed to give him a high five or whatever, but fist bump, because, dude, that was pretty smart. That totally screwed me up. I had no idea that was what you are doing. Wow. You know, like a fire, still go there. But be that as it may, I just want to give you props. That was pretty smart. Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He can't be everywhere. can't be. So even the idea of, remember in Sunday school, growing up the little puppet, there was the devil puppet and the heart puppet. Like Satan's busy. He's got stuff to do. There are demons and principalities and powers, yes. But the idea of Satan is that his, his ability to implement a system or to plant a seed of a system in our mind. Interestingly enough, what was it when, when the parable of the sower, the sower sows the word, and remember there were four kinds of soil. The kind of soil that, was, that, that choked out the word was the world, it was the thorns. The thorns of the world that wrapped up around it and choked it out. And that's what religion does. He came to set us free, and I'm over here like trapped in a thorn bush. If you've ever been like, like when we went on the horseback riding thing last year, I, I had, my horse was crazier than a loon. And she drove me right through the middle of a thorn bush because she's trying to throw me. And it, I was all tangled up and cut and ripped. And, because, but that's what, that's what religion is doing to us. It binds us up with thorns and ties us. Interesting, what was it that was wrapped around Jesus? It's a crown of thorns that he died for to get rid of that, of that religion that would come in to bind us. It's free. He said that Romans 8, if, if the Father gave his only Son to come and to be with you, will he not freely give you all things? There's no more to get. It's here, and the lie is that we don't have it, and we can walk in this freedom that he's given us because the freedom is that I don't have to go to a rated R movie because that wasn't ever the question to begin with. The question was, does it conform to this world? Christian or secular, or, you know. Music can't be either one. It's humans. People can be those things. And so the question isn't, is it secular or whatever. The question is, 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 is it holy? Does it fit this? The, the, the thing that can happen, in, at least in my life anyway, was 
I got this idea that, well, that's all legalism. You don't want to be all legalistic about stuff. Legalism is really simple. It's, and if you've been around, you know, you've heard me say this. It's really simple. It is adding something to the scriptures that weren't there to begin with. In that same episode in the garden, Eve said to uh, Satan, you know, God told us we can't eat this, we can't even touch it. That's not what he said. What he said was don't eat it. She added touch it and legalism was born. So legalism isn't to say that, like for instance, I'm not going to have an affair because I love my wife. That's not legalism. That's just loving my wife. It's loving God. It's where else would I go, right? I love my wife. I'm not going anywhere. That's not legalism. Legalism is when all of a sudden it's a list and a checklist and a duty and I'm adding things that weren't there. You know, he said uh, to, you know, don't commit adultery. So I said, that's great. I'm not even going to look anywhere. I'm just going to tie myself up and put myself in an office and lock the door. And then, then I can't have an affair. That's legalism. That's duty. It's crap. But on the other side of that coin is, I'm not going to do those things because I love God. And when he says to don't conform yourself to this world, to this age, it's saying that this age is about religion, it's about Satan being in charge, it's about uh, whatever he can do to pull us away. And when I'm conforming myself to that, I'm just going to be miserable. Do you remember eighth grade? I mean, I know most of us do. <laughs> we try our darndest to never remember eighth grade again. It's like you're trying to be like them because you don't want to be separated from the herd and you don't want to be made fun of. And because that's the world and it's this thing and I don't want to... And what Paul is saying is that world that is all around you, this age of now, don't conform to that. Don't copy their deal. Don't be like them. Don't conform to them. Don't pursue your legitimate desires in an illegitimate way and thus conforming to the world. Because when I do that, I'm just saying I do not trust the Father that He can bring, if you're single or recently single again, and you're, you know, you're struggling with this, I'm saying to the Father, I don't trust that you can provide that for me, so I'm going to go and get it other ways. It's a legitimate desire, illegitimate way. One more thing that I want to shift gears on you and I want you to see if this makes any sense to you. This word for conform is only used one other time in the New Testament. It was in 1 Peter and he says it actually I'll just read it for you again just for the sake of time. In 1.14 Peter is talking similarly about what we're talking about but he says therefore uh, for, verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you've got a King James, you might have noticed a word there that really caught my eye. And it says, fashion yourselves not after this. And it jumped out at me because... I don't know if you're aware of this, but I don't have a very good fashion sense. Clothes at my house are a lot like food in that they just, the old ones are rotated out and the new ones show up and somehow, I don't know, it just works. So if it weren't for my wife, I mean, this is, uh, this, this would be way worse. I got a call 
a year ago from a friend named, uh, I guess I can say his name, Jay uh, Seculo, saying, hey, we'd love for you to bring some pastors to Washington, D.C. We're bringing our pastors in from around the world fighting for the, the cause of the persecuted church. And I'd love you to invite 10 or 12 of your pastor friends from around the country and come and join us for a roundtable discussion. And so I'm like, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. And then my wife asks my, asked me at one point, well, what are you planning to wear? I'm like, well, this. I might throw in the Doc Martens, but, you know, I mean, Jay knows me. He wouldn't ask me if he, you know, he knows how I am. He wouldn't. So my wife, because he has found a wife, has found a good thing, contacts Jay's wife and says, hey, so Darren's planning on showing up like in jeans and Doc Martens. Um, what, 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 what should he be, what should he wear? And at which point she sends back the uh, dress code for Washington, D.C., which was not what I was planning to wear. They have D.C. casual, which is apparently a blazer, and uh, I, they, they, they allowed me to wear jeans, but, you know, dress shoes. I had to have a suit and tie because that was what I was to fashion myself after for that event. This weekend at Centennial High School was homecoming. Now, I wanted my daughter to go ahead and get the homecoming sweater, uh, but apparently they don't sell those anymore. I mean, I was praying for the 80s to come back. Remember the big uh, shoulder pads and baggy stuff? I'm like, how about some hammer pants? Do they got those for the, for the homecoming? And, 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 and they, you know what? They, they worked very hard, and you young uh, people know this. It's very difficult to buy something modest because... That ain't, that's not very easy to find. It's nowhere to be found. And so, but she found something very modest. I was very proud of her. And, but she wasn't going to go to homecoming dressed in sweatpants. Because that's not how she's going to fashion herself after that. Because that's not what the event calls for. And here's why this jumped out at me when I looked at this. Fashion yourself not after this age. This time period. It's going to come to a clothes, close at some point soon. My time here on earth, the invitation has been given and sent. I am waiting for the event to start, and until then, I am getting dressed for the party. Follow me on this. When we talk about fashion, there's a couple of scriptures that really jump out at me on this, and it was... You like that? It's a, actually further down. It's a hipster shirt. Uh, the, Paul would say in Colossians 3 to don't put on, to put off the, the metaphor of taking it off, so to speak. You're changing clothes. Put off anger and malice, deceit. Incidentally, those are things that we use to fulfill a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. I wanted this, and so I'm going to lie to get it. I wanted him to do this, but he didn't, so I'm mad, and I'm going to manipulate him by being angry at him. An illegitimate method in sin is born. He says, take that stuff off. To put on, he would say, compassion. Put on long-suffering and, and kindness. And it would say to put on Verse 10 of Colossians 3, love, which bonds it all together. 
So when you think about like compassion, long-suffering, when it talks about the greatest of these is love, the reason it's so great is it is the thread. This is what that word means, to, that holds it all together. I've got threads throughout this shirt that's holding it together. It's love. It's the love of Christ. And you think this might be a little bit of a stretch, Darren, as far as the metaphor department, but it's not, and here's why. Because Paul in Romans 13, just a few verses later, would say to clothe yourself in Christ. And here's why this stood out to me this week. Because when he says clothe yourself in Christ, I was reminded of Isaiah 61.10 when he's a prophecy and he says that I am adorned like a bridegroom. And I am coming back for my bride who is dressed in white, who is dressed in the finest of clothing. And as soon as I figure out how to make this even whiter, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> New technology. He dressed him in white. And it was interesting to me because when I think of what it means to put on Christ, he says that though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. I know I've dug into the weeds on this, but stick with me just a, a minute more. Because what event is he talking about in the time to come that we could clothe ourselves, we're getting dressed, for what? You see, Jesus would go to the desert. You remember, he was tempted of the enemy for 40 days. Satan said, hey, you're really, really hungry. Legitimate desire. Why don't you just make bread out of that? It's a legitimate desire. In an illegitimate way, Jesus would have sinned. What he was saying, he talked about, just bow down to me and I'll take care of all this. The legitimate desire in Jesus was to set everything right in this world, to become the ruler of this world again in a legitimate way. And he was offering him a shortcut and Jesus said no. Because it wasn't the legitimate way. And interestingly enough, Jesus, right after that, when he was hungry as could be, 40 days with no food, where does it say that he went in the book of John? He went to a wedding. What better place than to crash a wedding and get all kinds of great food? God took it. Go there. And there was the food. And his legitimate desire was fulfilled in a legitimate way. And here's what I mean by all of this. The event that we're coming from, the book of Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9, talks about that Prepare for the bride. That there would be a white, it says that he will fashion her in white linen. Remember last week, linen, because it breathes, because it's cool, because it's easy, because his burden is light, his load is easy. And he said to prepare her because she's coming. I talked about the marriage supper of the lamb. You've heard of that. The invitations are out. And when we talk about not conforming to this world, what we're really saying is, I am getting dressed for an event, and what I am wearing right now with lying and deceit and anger and malice is not appropriate for this event, because I'm getting married. When you think of it in those terms, it's really not that big of a deal. 
It's not that big of a burden. Don't fashion yourself after the world because that age is coming to an end. You're getting dressed for the wedding of the Lamb. And there are those that here today that you're saying, man, I've got I to gotta change my clothes. Absolutely. There's some awesome fashion around here. There's, in our lives, there's things that's all around that are considered legitimate now. There are things on television that are absolutely mortifying. And it's not legalism. It's like, oh, how did we get here? And he would say, don't put that on. Put on compassion. Put on long-suffering. Put on kindness. When you are going in to the least of these and working for those that are suffering and offering them mercy and grace and compassion to somebody who can't possibly repay you for what you've done, you're putting on the wedding dress for Christ. You're getting dressed for the party. And it's going to be awesome. Take off the filthy rags. I mean, look, I, you know, you, you can come in and dress me up in some cool kicks and cool clothes. That's, you know, I'm okay with that. I can throw away the old, which is what my wife does, throws away all the nasty stuff with the pitted stains. I'm like, man, but it fits so awesome. But it's disgusting. We're getting dressed for this amazing event. And we take it off when we're not fashioning ourselves after that world. And in high school, man, there's so much to just pull. I'm, I feel it with my kids. But you know what? I feel it with fellow parents as well. This world says, I've got to keep up with all of my fellow parents. I've got to do this. I've got to be the coach. I've got to be the teacher. I've got to be the this and the that. And next thing you know, you're so crazy busy that you don't have time for your kids, for your relationships, because you're conforming to this world in a way that God never meant it to be. You've got a legitimate desire to provide for your family, but you're working 15 hours a day. And I understand that there are moments in our lives where we have to do some of these things, but they ought to be just a period of time, not your whole life. I read a book about the five regrets that people have on their deathbed. It was a paleo, uh, whatever those nurses are, hospice nurse, who had been through many, 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 many deaths. And she said there were five consistent regrets on everybody's deathbed. One of them was, I worked too much. For this age, I put on the wrong clothes, and now it's too late, I can't change that. One was that I didn't stay in touch with my friends more. That I lost track of people that I loved and I cared about because I was so busy. That I didn't spend the time with my family that I meant to and now it's too late because we had put on, you put on the wrong clothes because seem what was right and you began to conform and dress for the wrong party. And I've got good news for you and for me this morning. If you feel like I'm dressed in the wrong outfit today, at the last of Paul's life, he didn't have the list of five things, but in 2 Timothy 4, it's the last letter that Paul would ever write. He writes it from a prison in Rome where he's about to be executed. And he says in chapter 4, verse 10, as he says to, send for my things, my clothes. But he says, Demas, it's only me now. I'm by myself. Demas has deserted me because he loved this world. Demas went to Thessalonica, which is like awesome. It's like this New York City of, of the ancient world. It was the, the port town. It was happening. It was prosperous. Demas had been with him already in prison. He'd been, he's referenced in Philemon. He's referenced in Colossians. 
while Paul was in prison before, but something happened in Demas that made him want to not be there anymore. And it says, Paul says, it's because he loved this world. And he deserted me. You're like, but wait, Darren, where's the hope part? I thought this was going to be the good part. <laughs> Demas deserted me. But then he says, but send for John Mark. Because he has been good for my ministry. And that stands out to me. Because in the book of Acts, Barnabas and Paul had a huge falling out. And they had a falling out because a young man named John Mark left him and went home because he was, they don't really say why, but he was gone and he, was, he left. He wanted to come back and Paul said, no, 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 no. I don't want him anywhere near me. He is uh, worthless. He, didn't, he abandoned us. He, and, and Paul and Barnabas had such a falling out over this that they broke apart their ministries and Barnabas was never mentioned again. But here's what's interesting to me. Barnabas who was right, Paul or Barnabas? I guess the answer is yes, because he says, send for John Mark, because he's been good for my ministry, which means that John Mark, even though he went back to the world at some point, dressed himself in the wrong outfit, he came back. And wherever you are on your journey today, I want you to know that you can be the John Mark of that. Wherever you are in your world travels, so to speak, there's always an opportunity to come back to get dressed for the wedding that is to come. The only moment that that is too late is when the bride comes and in the Jewish wedding the bride would come and negotiate or the groom would come and negotiate the price which is what Jesus did. He paid the price for us and then he would disappear and you wouldn't see him for a long time until with a great shout at nighttime, the groom would have arranged for his men to come and they would walk through the streets till they found to where the bride lived who hadn't seen him in a very long time. And with a great shout, they would shout because the bride would know he's coming. I need to get myself ready and go with the veil on my face. The Bible says that through now I see through a veil, but then I will see. Clearly it's a picture of a bride in the wedding when the veil comes off and now she sees clearly. It's such a beautiful picture. And he is coming. And whether you or I get there by passing away and dying on this side of heaven or whether we hear it with the wedding shout itself it says that the dead in Christ shall rise first we're all going to the wedding supper we all want to be dressed for what he has for us and it isn't about works it isn't about salvation is grace plus something else it's like I can't believe this is so awesome he, he's coming for me I want to dress up for this I want to do this one right. I, want to, I love what he's done. I love him in the same way that I love my wife and I do things that I I do stupid things Amen? But in my heart, when I, I love her, and when I'm really there, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm doing things that are right because I love her, not because I have to. Because I love her. And that's the promise of conforming yourself not to this age. Don't get dressed in the wrong outfit. Don't be caught out in a fashion faux pas for eternity. Know that he's coming for us. We're going to worship for just a couple minutes, but I want you to pray as our uh, musicians come to ask the Lord yourself, are you ready for that? Are you dressed? Keep, keeping in mind, this is not a salvation question. It's a, how are you going to dress for the event? He paid for it. He's offered you the clean clothes. Whether you take them or not, that's kind of up to you. You can clothe yourself in Christ and his righteousness. And out of an act of love, it's for that. But there are those maybe that have like, you know what, I don't even know, like, if I'm invited to the wedding. 
The answer is yes. The question is, did you RSVP? Did you say yes to the proposal? Jesus says, gift is for everyone. He desires that none would perish. And it's very, oh, so simple, because it's a matter of us repenting of our ways, which simply means I'm changing my mind. I thought I had this all right. I realized I was wrong. I'm changing my mind, and I'm going this other direction. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. I believe that he rose again on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold. It's the gospel. And would you let him come in and begin to transform your life, which is what we're going to talk about next time. It's the transformation that can occur. But for today as we're worshiping, I'm, I'm right here, and if you're someone that feels like, I don't really know where I stand on this. I've never RSVP'd to the wedding, so to speak. Trust me, there isn't like a, the prayer thing or I didn't do the, the prayer on the back of the track. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you for a moment in your life saying, God, I am so sorry for my sins. Would you forgive me? I repent. I'm changing my mind. I'm turning around and going the other way, following you. If you want to do that today, I'm right here and I'd love to pray with you. No shame and no guilt in that at all. It's just God wants you there. And for those of you that are already brides of Christ, might you today change your clothes? to throw off anger and malice and those dirty rags and to replace them with loving kindness and compassion. And, and it might mean you're going to places like Haiti or India, and it might mean you're going to places like Columbia, Tennessee or downtown Nashville. It might mean that you're just going and loving on a guy like John who's in the middle of a battle for his life right now. That you're in this as a follower of Christ, as a son of God and loving everyone around us. Put on compassion. Put on long-suffering put on kindness, all woven together with love. Father, would you infiltrate our hearts today? My prayer is that we would not leave here dressed the way that we came in, that we would not conform and dress for the world that we're in, but we're dressing for the wedding that is to come. You've provided the clothes for us. We don't have to do anything to even earn them. They're, they're ours. It says that you'll clothe us, that we could clothe ourselves in you. We have the mind of Christ, which means that you're us. We're in you. What an awesome promise, Lord. And I pray that it would just not be an academic knowledge today, but like a heart-changing transformation of us. And as we change our clothes and go into the world where you have sent us to go, to the broken, to the suffering, to each other, that we're dressed in white. We're dressed in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I'm right here if you want to pray with me. Don't feel any shame from that. We've got communion available. What a great place to remind yourself what Jesus did by putting on him with the blood that he shed that washes us white, that provides the clothes for us. Maybe there's a place to change your clothes right there, to put off anger and malice and to go back to, oh, this is awesome for the bride of Christ. Let's worship him.